0: I actually want to continue to reflect on Ashburnham in some ways in in these moments. Because we were saying last weekend, when you go away for a church weekend away with your big family of churches and the sun shines and there's 3,000 people there and God's being worshipped and so on, it can be possible to kind of forget about it quite soon. It becomes just a nice weekend in the sun with some good meetings. And we were saying last week, we don't want that to be the case. You want a weekend like that to really be formative and shaping. You want it to set the trajectory or maybe even reset the trajectory of your life and indeed the life of the church. And that's what we were saying last week. And I want to really say something similar this morning. I want to talk about something that you might not expect me to talk about, which is fasting. I want to speak about fasting. I want to speak about the age-old spiritual practice of prayer and fasting that the church has engaged in for centuries. And one of the reasons why for hundreds of years Christians have engaged in prayer and fasting or have augmented their prayer with fasting is for just that purpose, to kind of set... Or to reset the trajectory of their lives, not least to be towards God and in line with God. And so it's for that reason that we as a church, twice a year, we have a bit of rhythm in church life, that January and September each year, we set aside a week to engage in that age-old discipline of of fasting and prayer. And ours will be starting a week on Monday. And so I want to speak about that and just help us to go into that week, not kind of, oh yeah, it's that week again, but actually prepared. And my heart this morning is is to see faith rise, expectation rise for weeks like this, because churches for centuries have found, Christians have found, that something unique happens when we give ourselves in a focused way to prayer and even augment that with fasting. People have found for centuries that there is a new and fresh intimacy that comes with God and indeed a power that comes from God. And so my heart this morning is to kind of begin to help us think through how we might approach that week in order to both achieve those two things, ultimately, to find ourselves enjoying God even more and indeed drawing down the power of God. Okay. So I guess much as last week, it's a bit of a... I guess a family team talk in some ways. So I want you to kind of lean in and allow us to, to see faith and expectation rise so that as a community we can really go into this week with a sense of purpose. And if you're new, as a bunch of you are, you're looking in on King's Church as a place you might want to make home, or you're just thinking about faithful stop, and you're like, fasting? What? I want you to know you're super welcome here this morning. And I want you to know that the God behind... The practice of prayer and fasting is a God of love who is for you, who's with you, and has got things to say to you this morning to bless you and to encourage you. So please lean in as well, and you'll find that as our family kind of leans in and chats through what's going to come in two weeks' time, that the God of love and power and blessing is going to speak to you as well. And we'll make some space to, to reflect on that towards the end. So, fasting. Here's what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15, some people challenged Jesus about why he and his disciples weren't fasting. (laughs) Uh, John's disciples uh, and the Pharisees challenged him as to why he wasn't fasting. And he said this, using typical imagery. He said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Remember last week, we talked about the richness of the symbolism of wine. Here it is being used again in a different way. If it is, verse 17, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." Last week we talked about the richness of bread and wine as symbols in the Bible. And you were being encouraged to feed, both spiritually and practically, on bread and wine together. And this morning I'm encouraging you to not feed uh, on on bread and wine, but to continue to feed and drink (laughs) spiritually. Now what does Jesus mean? It's just not super obvious as to what he's trying to say. It probably would have been more obvious to his first-century Jewish audience what he was trying to say, because he's using imagery and metaphors and context that would probably have made more sense to them than necessarily do to us. So what's he saying? Well, he's saying a few things. First of all, in the Old Testament, God often talked about, or sometimes talked about himself, as a bridegroom, and the people that he was looking to draw to himself in a relationship and commitment of love as the bride. So Isaiah 62 verse 5 would be an example of where God uses that language of the bridegroom and the bride. So what Jesus is doing here is no small thing. He's applying a divine motif to himself. It's at least a hint of his uh, divinity. He's saying, I'm the bridegroom of the Old Testament come to be with you. And he's saying, when the bridegroom is with the people at the wedding, you have a, you have a party. The food and the wine flow. So he's like, whilst I'm with you walking the earth, bridegroom with the bride, fasting's not appropriate. Feasting is appropriate. Celebration's appropriate. Then he says, but there'll be a time when the bridegroom won't be here. And if you read the rest of the story of the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus is essentially alluding to or predicting his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, when he will no longer walk the earth. And he's beginning to say, there'll be a time after I've ascended and given the Holy Spirit the age of the church when you will fast in order to draw down something of my presence and my power. So he's saying, fasting will continue after I've ascended, but not as you know it. Or particularly not as the, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees who were challenging him knew it. And he uses this language of, of clothing and wine. And he's like, listen, I haven't come just to give you a patch to put on an old garment. He's like, I'm not here just to give you a couple of extra laws to add to the Mosaic law. Or to encourage you to maybe obey them a bit better. He's like, this is not a patch to put on an old garment. I've come to bring a brand new garment. This is a new day, a new era. We talk about it as the new covenant, the new way of relating to God simply through faith in Christ. Jesus is saying, this is, this is new wine, and you don't pour that into an old way of doing things. You pour it into a brand new way of doing things. He's like, the old practice of fasting will continue, but in a new way. Essentially, what Jesus is saying. So what does that look like for us in the age of the church? Some of you are brand new Christians. And you'll be like, what? Fasting? I didn't know there was this thing about Christianity where I get to not eat for a while. So I want to talk to you about what, what this is and why Jesus would say it's something truly wonderful to engage in. First of all, what is it not? Because it's really important just to say, what, what is fasting not? Because people can get themselves in a, in a bit of a tangle over something like fasting. What is it not? Well, first of all, it's not to impress God. It's not to impress God. It really isn't. What Jesus is hinting at in this passage is, the bridegroom has come. God himself has come to draw a people to himself as his bride. And the church, the New Testament tells us, is that bride. So a Christian is somebody who says, I have been united to God through Jesus. I'm his bride, the perfect spousal love, if you like, of God. has been known to me. I'm in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, and therefore all of Christ's righteousness is mine. That's the teaching of the New Testament. Fasting is not like, to use Jesus' language here, it's not like a patch that we put on to our garment to sort of maybe hide some of the things that we're a bit embarrassed about in front of God. Neither is it a patch or a badge of honor that we put onto our garment to show how God, how impressive and shiny we are. Okay, if we engage in something like fasting, which generally is abstaining from food for a period of time, it does not impress God. Jesus has done that for us. The joy of being a Christian is that you step into unity with Jesus and all of, the, all of the Father's delight upon him is on you. Done. Every morning. And when someone gets that, when a Christian really gets... God is so pleased with me because I'm in Christ. Every morning I wake up to the smile of God, the approval of God, the acceptance of God. It has a, the remarkable effect of making you care a bit less about what people think. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who occasionally we can, we can get drawn into just wanting to impress people. So wanting to have people's approval. And so the knock-on effect, the other thing that fasting isn't, if it isn't to impress God, is not to impress people. And Jesus was pretty blunt about that in Matthew 6 and verse 16. When in the context of saying, when you pray, everyone's like, yes, Jesus, when we pray, we all pray, prayer is important. He also says, when you fast. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, Wash your face so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Excuse me. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, listen, if you're doing it to be seen by others, that's the only reward you'll get being seen by others. That's it. Now, it doesn't mean people can't know that we're doing it and we're going to engage in this as a church family. So Jesus isn't saying, don't fast, You, you must not be seen by others. He's saying, don't do it to be seen by others. So fasting is not to impress God, to impress others, and I should add, as a sort of an appendix, neither is it a weight loss health program as well. <laughs> so we're not saying this is a great way for King's Church to be the shiniest, fittest, healthiest people in the, in the borough of Kingston. It's not about that at, at all. I'll get into what it is uh, in these moments. So what is it? Why would you spend this week considering the possibility of missing meals next week, or missing days' worth of meals? Or as some Christians have engaged in missing multiple days' work, why would you consider that? Well, first of all, this is what it is. Ultimately, as best I understand the sweep of Scripture, fasting with prayer is about wanting to taste more of God. It's, it's It's the desire. It's a way of expressing our desire to taste more of God. In simple terms, we put aside the good taste of food and we say there is something better for me. There is a greater nourishment to be had. It's a way of tasting more of God. And Jesus' hint in this description is around this new wine. And he's saying, There'll be a day, and there'll be a new era of knowing God through me. It'll be like new wine that you drink. And he's like, When you've drunk a little bit of the the wine of God, if you like, last week we talked about the heavenly wine of the Holy Spirit. When you've had a bit of that, Jesus' saying, You're going to want more. And so fasting and praying is simply a way of us putting aside a good thing and saying, I'm hungry for a better thing. That really is what it is at its essence. Let me show you what I mean. In Acts chapter 13, which is basically the story of the early church in the first century, we hear about a church in a place called Antioch. And in verse 2 it simply says this, while they, this Antioch church, were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Just hit me afresh this week. While they were worshipping and fasting. Now we tend to read it, while they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit did. It's this great dramatic thing. Now, the Holy Spirit did speak to them, as we'll see later on, through the, the uniqueness of fasting. But for them, it looks like they worshipped and fasted. It was a very natural thing for them to do from time to time as part of their worship, as part of, as part of their way of saying, God, you're good. God, I'm hungry for you, for ultimate satisfaction, for ultimate nourishment, to, to really enjoy you. I'm going I'm to pray and worship instead of eating for a time. So the fact that it's immediately tied to The fact that it's immediately tied to worship, I think, tells us something quite profound. Worship and fasting for the early church seem to go hand in hand. Because for them, it was about saying, I'm putting aside a good thing, and I'm hungry for a greater thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says something quite interesting to married couples. He basically says, from time to time, if you're married and you're enjoying the gift of sex which is designed uniquely for marriage between a husband and a wife, he says from time to time you might want to consider putting that to one side and devoting yourself to prayer instead, which is the same way of saying there's this really wonderful thing, the joy and the thrill and the union that comes through a husband and a wife engaging in a covenant commitment of, of sexual union, you might want to put that to, to, to one side from time to time and seek the ultimate union that comes in your relationship with Jesus. He's like, this is good, wonderful thing. What about from time to time saying, I'm actually gonna prioritize the ultimate thing? He says, don't do it for long, but from time to time, if you're a married couple, you might wanna consider doing that. Which tells us that fasting in the Bible, though primarily about food, it seems, is not ultimately about food. Ultimately, it's about heart expressions that say, I'm gonna to put, to, put to one side this good thing to pursue the ultimate thing. So these times of the year, I always mention things like technology and social media. Not because they're bad things, they're good things, they can cause extraordinary good. But you can't tell me, if you want to grow in your prayer life, having a week of putting aside for a little while this thing, or putting aside social media, or pausing your account on Netflix for a week or two, is not going to help you probably put aside some time to enjoy God. And so I would always say as well, consider things like fasting technology. Especially if fasting is not appropriate for you. If eating or food has been a challenge in the past, or is a challenge, that's like a whole other whole nother talk. And likely you'll have some FAQs in your resources around the, the mechanics, if you like, of, of fasting. But if fasting is not appropriate for you, my wife's pregnant, she's not going to be fasting, I don't think. But what, what else is there that you can put to one side, to enable a focus on, on God. And the reality is that, as brilliant as our iPhones and our smartphones are, all the research says that these things are not helping us concentrate on one thing for a period of time. They're feeding us a habit that says, oh, little bits of brain candy, more, more, more. That's what they do. So we scroll and we swipe and we tap. But for hundreds of years, Christians have found something profound happens when we learn to be still. In the presence of God for a period of time. And it can be quite painful. Fasting from food is not pleasant initially. Fasting from your phone might not be pleasant initially, but something I think wonderful, that's been my testimony, begins to happen. So even now, I wonder how the Holy Spirit is leading you to approach next week. Second thing that fasting is for is to experience breakthrough. There's some fantastic stories in the Old Testament. Places like Ezra and Nehemiah. These guys lead the people of God in a particular fast for a particular need for a particular breakthrough. Which in their instance is the people of God are traveling back to uh, Jerusalem and need protection. They need to not be attacked. So they fast and pray for that reason. They see God do an amazing thing. Esther, this remarkable woman of God, goes into the presence of the king unannounced, which is effectively a death sentence, and before she does that, she gets her people to pray and to fast alongside of her in very simple terms, so the king doesn't kill her and kill all her people. And he doesn't. Breakthrough comes. Now, I don't know exactly why that is. There is a mystery, I think, to an extent. I'm going to impale myself on that in a second. Sorry, Ellen. There is a mystery to an extent around this. But breakthrough can take place uniquely. So even for us as a family, just last January, when we had a time of prayer and fasting, we found that having been been looking for a house to buy for quite a while, it was that week in which we made an offer on a house that we loved more than the previous one that we'd seen that was accepted in that week of just beginning to focus in prayer. The same week, a a much beloved dear family member wrote to me who's who's been uh, agnostic or atheistic, frankly, for, for years, for decades. And he wrote to me having read a book to say that finally he was genuinely persuaded the resurrection was true. I can't tell you what a joy it was to read that letter. I actually wasn't particularly praying for that family member in that week, but I had been and we had been for, for many years and decades. But something seems to happen in the spiritual realm when we take God seriously enough to say, I'm putting good things aside and I'm going to pursue you for this breakthrough. Not so he put God's arm behind his back and twist his arm and try and leverage him because it doesn't impress God. But there's something that God responds to in a, just an extraordinary way when he sees his children saying, Dad, you are amazing. Only you can rescue here. I need you. Nothing else is going to work. Now, some of you I know are in those situations. You need a breakthrough in finances, in, in marriage stuff, in other relationships. What's the breakthrough that God's calling you to, achieve, that God's calling you to experience through the joy of prayer and fasting? All of us will have things on our heart right now. We just need God to come through. A much beloved family member like me has not yet found the joy of following Christ. Sickness and illness that is just chronic. Things at work are just stuck, maybe. Desire for family, things that are stuck they're not just seem to be blocked something spiritually well something wonderful can happen in the in the place of prayer and fasting i don't fully understand it i just testify to the story of the bible and to the story of the church over the last two thousand years on my own small story third thing that fasting does augmented with prayer is it helps bring clarity helps bring clarity So didn't it interesting, in that passage I read to you from Acts, about the early church in Antioch, it said, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. See what happens there? They're in the context of fast fasciaping, that would be a good one. That's basically what it is. We should rename it, fasciaping. That's what it is. (laughs) They're in the context of worshipping and fasting. And so the Holy Spirit suddenly speaks. like These two guys in your community, you need to give them away. You need to send them, commission them. Because ultimately the local church is not for itself. It exists to, to send its best for the spread of the gospel. So suddenly here this moment is quite a quite a clear thing. And then do you notice, they then it looks like they then fast and pray again. Because oh, Barnabas and Saul, we like these guys. Or <laughs> we're not quite sure about these guys, I don't know which. But they fast because they want clarity. They don't want to send these two guys into significant risk to take the gospel to, to the, the known world at the time, if you like, without really knowing it's from God. So they fast for clarity. And in my experience, fasting does have this decluttering effect. It brings clarity to our thinking, a sharpness to our thinking. It's like the good things find their right order in life. It's like... Brrr. Best way I can, I can describe it. The good things which can, can compete for the ultimate place, the throne of our heart, they kind of, they find their right place. Not because they're bad things, they're good things. They find their right place. It has a decluttering effect on our thinking as well. Some of the lies that I kind of keep seeming to believe, they just seem to begin to come to the surface, which is painful, and I can speak the truth of God over them. Sin comes to the surface, just to let you know, when you, when you take time to fast and pray because we start to see things sharply and clearly, and things that we've been ignoring or convincing ourselves aren't causing us to stumble, they start to come to the surface, and we just see the things that matter for the things that matter. And so it can be both a painful but a really fruitful time of clarity. What do you need clarity on? What decisions are you faced with? Might be just small things around the workplace that you want to just have a (coughs) snappy, clear thinking might be stuff in the life of the church, the place that you're serving and ministering and leading and shaping, might be in your own personal lives, where would you really appreciate a sense of, okay, I I think I know the right course of action to take. Because often in life it's not the really bad option and the really good option. Sometimes it is, and people sometimes take the really bad option. But often in life, especially if we're, we're doing our best to understand the teaching of the Bible, to follow Christ, often there's a number of quite good options that we're faced with sometimes. So we need clarity. Not just like a, not the God saying there are six doors and if you there's only one to go through and if you choose the wrong five you're going to fall down a trapdoor. That's not the sense of it. But I can tell you there is a wonderful clarity of thinking that comes, the decluttering effect of fasting and praying. I'm talking about over time as well. Everything from one meal at the workplace where you just go and pray somewhere else, through to days, weeks sometimes, if people prepare properly and feel called to it, can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Fourthly, fourthly, fasting is also for justice, fasting is for justice, this is what God says in Isaiah. Yes it's the Old Testament but we know the way that Jesus speaks, and indeed I think the way that John was praying before about what Jesus fulfills that Isaiah said God would be like, you can see here, (laughs) stick with me. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? This is God by the way slightly telling off the people of God because they're fasting for the wrong reasons. He says I have to loo- this is the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains oof, of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Wow. That's partly what fasting's for. And we know that kind of fasting continues because Jesus said about other words in Isaiah, "I'm the one who's come to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted." We know that Jesus fulfilled this heart of God, and calls the local church to be the fulfilment of this heart of God. It's a part of why we fast is to see justice. What are the things that you're passionate about? Some of you got deep passions for uh, to come against injustice in prayer. What are the things that God might call you to fast for? Who might, who might God speak to next week? with some amazing calls on your life to really start to push the heart of God through. Those of you who are working for Tear Fund, what, God might, what, what might God say to you for your workplace? Those of you who are considering even the idea of fostering and adopting and demonstrating God's unique heart for the fatherless, I wonder what God might say as we seek to fast and fulfill his heart for the marginalized and for the vulnerable, which in the story of the Bible often comes down to the fatherless, the widow, the refugee, the people in poverty. Fasting is about that. I would just even dream for a moment. What, what might God say to us? What new dreams and visions might he start? What people might be freed from literal... What, what young girls might be freed from child trafficking and slavery because you fasted and prayed and took action? What, what children might be given a home forever rather than being passed around the care system? Because you fasted and God, the Holy Spirit, spoke like he did in Antioch. Who might, this is risky stuff for a pastor, who might get sent elsewhere like Barnabas and Saul? I, I, King church, can I be honest with you? I long for the day when, more, when I get more emails and texts saying, please, can we meet? Not because there's this thing in church that annoys me. <laughs> I've been fasting and praying. If you don't want to know, that first sentence in an email will get my attention. I've been, I've been praying and fasting for a bit and I just wonder if God might be saying this. I would love more of those conversations. I'll clear my diary for those kinds of conversations. I sense God is saying this to us as a church, what do you think? So, how's this going to work for us as a community in the week after next so next Sunday, we'll have a, a guest speaker with us from a, a local church He's going to help us again just approach this week, hit the ground running in terms of prayer. There's a guy that's passionate about prayer. Uh, and then what we'll do is what we do each time, really, is we just try and give you a little framework around the week to kind of guide the things that you pray for and that you fast alongside. In the past, we do little podcasts that get emailed out. This time, we're doing do it a little bit differently. We're going to do it through life groups, which is why Becca was talking about how wonderful life groups are, that we're going to do it through life groups. So life groups, you will be doing this yourself. You get a little podcast from me on the Monday that helps I trust to to settle us and to be still just us and God setting us for the week and maybe something on Saturday. But Tuesday to Friday, you will administer this between yourself. You can use this guideline as, and each, each, someone in a group, Love Groups will help you with this. Someone in a group will just bring a short reflection from scripture from what they feel God's saying, that will just help the group to, to pray into specific things that day. So you as a group, want you to take real ownership of this thing. You know, for example, the families in your group that need a breakthrough. For example, you know the things that you're passionate about in the life of the church. And on Wednesday evening, not Tuesday evening as normal, we'll come together for a prayer meeting with a difference. We've done it a few times before. We're going to connect again with New Ground, which is our wider family of churches, and all the churches will connect online, and we'll be kind of led online, as it were, by the New Ground team, and then we'll see other churches around the continent that are praying, and we'll get caught up in what God is doing around the continent and around the country. So I'd love you to be there on Wednesday evening, 745, up in the gallery for 8 o'clock start. We won't pray so much for our own stuff. We'll get caught into God's global purposes uh, within the New Ground family, within the broader New Frontiers family. Thursday, us in Kingston. What are you passionate about seeing in Kingston? Wanna see elderberries, our ministry to the to the elderly, thrive? Who's gonna pick up the mantle for the Joel Community Night Shelter for the homeless and see that thrive? We want to see the school that we partner with get the building that they need to be able to thrive and bless kids and bless families. You will know the things that you're passionate about that I've not even mentioned. Friday, who would agree that our nation needs some prayer? <laughs> <laughs> Whether your political angle is. That is another talk. Whatever your political angle is, the Bible calls us so clearly to pray for our government. Let's pray for our nation. Pray for this time in which we find ourselves. Fast for leaders and government. Fast for breakthrough. What nations are we passionate about? What nations do you feel called to? What nations might God call you to on a Friday of prayer and fasting? Can I say to those of you who are from other nations, we love the fact that you're amongst us. We love what you bring to us. We need you to bring the, the international heart of God for so many reasons. Hospitality, frankly, being one. Can I just say, those of you from South America and from Turkey indirectly and other places around the world, you understand that, thing so much better than we do in Southwest London, how to open your homes, how to make a seat at the table, how not to be so out-planned that we never see each other. If you're here with English as a second language, we need you to minister to this community, to this family, so that it more fully reflects who the heart of God is. Some of you discount yourselves because your English isn't great. Please don't. We're united together through Christ. Miller, can I embarrass you for a moment? I know you won't mind. When you prayed that in Spanish <laughs> the other day, just like standout moment of just, wow, a taste of the new creation. Every tribe and tongue and language praying for the glory of God. Translated it as well, which is helpful, but you didn't have to, I suppose. I didn't particularly plan to say that. But I just want you to hear that And something can happen in a time of prayer and fasting. Maybe we can particularly fast. There will be something beautiful here that would reflect that the new creation is going to be. In a a world so fragmented by politics and race and arguments around around gender and all kinds of things, can we demonstrate something uniquely different where men and women and and, and white and black and brown and every color and and background and creed come together in unity around this wonderful Jesus and say, he is so amazing, I'm not going to eat for a while, not to impress him, but to, to get more of him. And I might even do it with somebody I don't know very well. Well, I, don't speak, I don't speak their language very well, they're not in my life, they're not in my easy community within a community. In fact, can we pray for that? Can we pray for that in this, in this week? That, that new uh, new bread, new beginning, new season stuff we heard God talk about Ashburnham last week, in terms of the community coming together, rallying around and rallying forward, can we, can we be praying for that? Can we pray that nobody would find themselves marginalised and left on the edge? Can we pray that no would have the experience of hearing about the, the motif of there being a seat at the table for all concerned and finding there not to be one? Can we pray that we would encounter the love of Christ, the gospel would melt our hearts so much again, that it would be a, a, the most natural inclination to, to give of ourselves sacrificially, to open our homes. And can we come together on Wednesday evening to, to pray for the nations accordingly? So life groups, I would love you to consider how you can do this together, and you'll get some more information around that. If you're not yet in a life group, can I encourage you to follow Becker's exhortation and to think about one? Life group leaders, can you just shove your hands up in the air so we can see a few people? Great. A whole bunch of you. Even Christy at the back. <laughs> There's a bunch of people who would love to have a chat with you and say, this is what our group does. This is what our home is like. This is how good our food is. So don't leave here this morning without having had a conversation about what it might mean for you to take a seat at our family table. You can go to a bunch of life groups, see what they're like, find the one that that works best for you. But if you want to engage in this week of prayer and fasting, the best way to do so will to be part of a life group. Uh, Kate, who's on staff here, will be at the back of our Connect Point afterwards. She can chat to you and knit some things together as well. But it's a timely time, if such a thing exists, for us as a church. It's at this point that we usually um, go back into to worship and have a time of response and so forth. And we have got time to do that. But, but I just felt in prayer that, that kind of, it was just really a moment of, of just to take some time. Maybe, Ellen, you could, just, um, you could play for us. That would be great. Um, but this is just a, a, not a long time, just a few moments just to ask God what's he saying. It's so all we're going to do. Take some time. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How would you have me prepare for this week? What are the breakthroughs that you want me to go for? What is the renewed intimacy with you that can be mine? What are the, what's my part to play in this church family? So we're just going to have a few moments. Um, Ellen's just going to pray. Uh, just, just silence and reflection, just talking to God. If this is all brand new to you, like, I don't know what this is about, just use this time to reflect on what you've heard. Um, Give me a bunch of questions at the end. I'd love to engage with them. So just a time reflection, and then I'll pray, and then we'll just close. We'll have extra time to, to chat with each other.